This is the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. To find out more about Keystone, visit keystonerdu.church. We hope you enjoy today's message. We're starting a brand new series today in the book of Philippians. It's called United. And I'm going to talk a little bit, obviously, about that as we preach. Philippians chapter 1. If you have a Bible app or your Bible here today, um, Philippians chapter 1. But um, if you turn to Philippians chapter 1, I also need you to turn to Acts chapter 16. So Philippians 1 and Acts chapter 16. I'm a big sports fan. I don't know how many of you are a big sports fan, but I'm a big sports fan. And how many of you understand, we could give illustration after illustration this morning. The most talented team does not always win the game. We got some Duke fans in the house tonight, this morning. We got some Carolina fans in the house this morning. Okay, we understand. If you paid attention to anything that happened yesterday, the most talented teams on the court don't necessarily win the game. Who typically wins a game? is the team that plays together the best at a a given day. The team that plays together. The team where the point guard makes that pass because he knows that big man's making that cut, and he makes the pass before the big man even gets there. The ball's already heading that way. Or in football, and I I never had the privilege to play football, I wish I did, but in football, when that quarterback throws that pass to that out pattern before the guy ever makes his cut, He lets go of the ball, knowing that guy's about to turn and the ball's going to be right on him. It is that energy of working together, the synergy that's created of being united. The unity there of a team. I will take a team of five people that are united together over a team of five very talented people that want to be on their own and don't want to be a part of a team. And this morning, no, perhaps no greater example of this and no greater example of what a church should look like, biblically speaking, is found in Paul's letter to the Philippian church. In all of Paul's other epistles, Paul seems to be dealing with some sort of big problem. If you read 1st and 2nd Corinthians is the main major one. If you really read 1st and 2nd Corinthians, which we're going to go, we're going to preach through that book uh, sometime but I'm going to wait until our church is old enough to have big problems, right? But uh, that church has some legitimate problems. I mean, you read through that stuff and it's like, ugh, like there was some weird stuff going on. Uh, you look at all of the other books that Paul, the letters that Paul wrote to his churches, and it seems as if he was dealing very specifically with some sin and some problems. However, with the book of Philippians and his letter to this church, it doesn't seem as if Paul is dealing with any major problems problems. This church at Philippi seems to be a healthy, growing, young, mission-minded church. A church like we would seek to be here at Keystone. A church that was fulfilling the mission that Jesus had for them on this earth. And that's what I want our church to be. This was a young church, and we're going to find that out today. Before we can jump into verse 1 of the book of Philippians, we need to understand the context of the book. Context is always radically important. How many of you understand, for those people that say the Bible's full of contradictions, how many of you understand if you take out one little verse of Scripture here 
And then you take out another little verse of Scripture over here. You can pit those two verses of Scripture sometimes against each other. How many of you understand context matters? Who wrote it? Who was it written to? What was going on at this time? That all matters. And so as you read your Bible and you come across a verse, you're like, oh, I don't know about that. That that verse kind of scares me a little bit. Before you go off on a false doctrine, make sure you take a step back. And my pastor, I moved here from Baltimore, Maryland. I'm originally from here, moved to Baltimore and came back because that's what all normal sane people would do. They would move to Baltimore and move back to Durham. All right, so, um, but, uh, but we moved back here from Baltimore. And my pastor in Baltimore used to always say this, hey, when you're down here in the weeds, right? You're looking at it, you're right here beside the trees of the word of God. You're down in a verse. If you don't understand that or, or it seems to be confusing, you want to take a 10,000 foot view. You want to get up a little bit above that and see maybe what that book, the theme of that book is. And then if you still don't really grasp that, you might want to go to 30,000 feet and see the overall theme of Scripture is God's redemption of human beings and our sin and our fallenness and God's love and Jesus Christ and the gospel. He said, you know, if you don't understand Scripture, you need to take that view, come out of the forest, get above the trees, and then get above the clouds. And that's a great thing for us as we're studying our, our Bibles to understand context. This morning I want us to jump right in, and I hope we leave today with a greater concept of this amazing book of the Bible. Would you pray with me this morning? Dear Lord, we love you today. And God, I want my words to be formed and fashioned by your Holy Spirit. I want to remove myself uh, from the equation. God, I want to remove any distractions that I may cause. God, I pray today that your word would be exalted and your word would shine through. God, I pray today your word would pierce uh, hearts, pierce minds. God, that we would be intellectually uh, challenged possibly, but more importantly than intellectually challenged today, God, I pray that our hearts would be challenged. And we'd be spiritually challenged to to love you more, God, to to be the church that you would have us to be. And God, we love you today. We want to give you all the praise and all the glory uh, for everything that's taken place. And it's in your name we pray. Amen. First of all, this morning, I want us to look at the man behind the letter. The man behind the letter. I will let you look at the first word of the first chapter of the book of Philippians this morning because it says very easily, very simply, Paul. And obviously he was writing with Timothy here, but this is Paul penning the letter. This is Paul. This is the same Paul who was the great persecutor of the church, Saul, who was, cha- who was radically changed on the road to Damascus. And his name was changed to Paul. And he was the author of this book. This is the man who was, who was credited uh, with the, the church planting efforts of the New Testament. Uh, upwards of 30 plus churches that Paul himself uh, planted. This is the man that we still refer to today as the greatest missionary to ever live. And if you think about that, that's pretty amazing. In 2018, you gotta get used to that, uh, how many of you have written a seven and then done the weird little eight thing, uh, you know, so, yeah, you, you've done that. <clears throat> but we are in 2018. With technology and travel the way it is, it is pretty outstanding that we still look at the Apostle Paul and say he was the greatest missionary that ever lived. And I, I fully believe that. This is uh, Paul. Turn to Acts chapter 16. If you have that uh, over there, turn to Acts chapter 16. And we're going to spend, actually, the majority of our time in this passage today because it gives the historical uh, background of the Philippian church, the, 
the whole story is Paul, as you know, went on several missionary journeys, at least three that, we, that, that, are, that are in the Bible there. But at the end of his first missionary journey, uh, he, was with, uh, he was with Barnabas. Him and Barnabas had a falling out over John Mark. And Barnabas wanted John Mark to be able to come back with them on the second missionary journey. If you don't know this stuff, just, it's all good. Just try to take it in. It's, it's, it's introduction. But Paul and Barnabas had a fight. Two godly men, two men that were both uh, spreading the gospel, had a disagreement. And they had disagreement. And I don't necessarily think either one of them were wrong. I think that it was just good that they, they parted ways. And so Barnabas uh, took John Mark with him, and Paul took a man by the name of Silas with him on his second missionary journey. And so Paul was with this uh, ministry partner, Silas, and he heard the word of the Lord, the Spirit of the Lord, shut a door on one side and then open another door um, on the other side. And we'll, we, we will learn um, a little bit about this. Look at verse 7 of Acts chapter 16. Uh, actually, let's look at verse 6. Now, when they had gone throughout uh, Phrygia and the region of Galatia, and were forbidden of the Holy Ghost to preach the word in Asia. After they were come to uh, Mysia, they essayed to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit suffered or allowed them not. They were going to go, but the Spirit allowed them not. And they, passing by Mysia, came down to Troas. And a vision appeared to Paul in the night. There stood a man of Macedonia and prayed him, saying, Come over into Macedonia and help us. After he had seen the vision, immediately we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. This is a side note, but I, I feel like God works in, the, in this way. I'm not a big spooky guy. I don't feel like God like wakes me up at 2 o'clock in the morning. I see a, you know, a Jesus in my room, and he speaks to me audibly, and I'm like, okay, that's the, I need to take the job, obviously. Or I need, to, I need to move. Yeah, we need to move. We need to buy that car. You know, I, don't feel like, I feel like God works in ways that he worked here with Paul. I believe God opens up doors in our lives. And then I believe God closes doors in our lives. And I believe that your, your job and my job this morning is when a door opens, that we have the faith and the courage to walk through that door. And I feel like when God shuts a door in our lives, we have the wisdom to walk away from that door. I firmly believe that is the principle being taught here. I firmly believe that the Holy Spirit impressed on Paul not to go this direction, but to go this direction. And I believe it was wise of Paul not to go to this direction. It was very courageous of Paul to go in the direction that he was open to. Uh, I believe that God works that way. I don't believe God necessarily works in the spooky or in the, or in the, the spirit. And now, on the flip side, that's not to discredit that the Holy Spirit can speak directly to you. I, I still believe that and always will believe that. But I believe God works in open doors and closed doors. Paul followed, followed the leading of the Holy Spirit, headed into this town, this Roman colony of Philippi. They ended up at Philippi. Um, they, many people said that it was like a mini Rome, as if New York City, people say that Toronto, Canada is like a little miniature New York City. And I've never been to Toronto. I'd like to do that. Uh, I do watch HGTV, and I've seen that a $900,000 budget gets you a two-bedroom apartment in Toronto. And so, um, praise the Lord. And, and they talk weird. But um, other than that, I don't know much about Toronto, but I know it's kind of a mini, people say it's kind of a mini New York City. And that, that's why I, the way I picture Philippi with Rome. Rome, obviously the large, uh, huge city that everybody talked about, but Philippi was kind of a miniature 
city. It was the city they said was most like the city of Rome. Many different types of people lived here. It was kind of a melting pot as Raleigh, Durham, North Carolina happens to be with all the colleges and with everybody moving into this area. I see so many similarities here. But this church had a great heritage because this church was birthed under the ministry of the Apostle Paul. He's the man behind this letter. And it's important that we know that and that we understand this. This this church was birthed from a pure motive, from a pure heart, from a pure man, a man of God, the Apostle Paul. And we need to understand that they say that the city of Philippi was on a road that was a military road between two different type military type bases and that there was a lot of military action that would go on between there. Once again, adding to the diversity of this city. And so just interesting background there as Paul was called. How many of you understand Paul was uniquely called to the Jews and the Gentiles? Paul was, Paul was the one who said to the Jews, hey, you're not the only ones. And he would say to the Gentiles, hey, Jesus loves you too. That was Paul's ministry. And what a great city for Paul to be able to do that in. A diverse city like Philippi. So we see the man behind the letter, but secondly this morning, very importantly, I want us to see the message that was preached. The message that was preached. Paul and his, and his ministry team came with a clear focus, and that was to preach the gospel of Jesus Christ to everyone that would hear. If we look back at verse 10, look at it, he said after he had seen the vision, <clears throat> he says immediately... Immediately, we endeavored to go into Macedonia, assuredly gathering that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel unto them. He didn't say to set up a nice place for their kids to play, even though I'm all for doing those things in the community. He didn't say to feed the poor, even though I am a thousand percent for that. He said to preach the gospel to them. And Keystone Church must be a church where preaching the gospel, the message of Jesus Christ, reigns supreme. If we feed someone that is in need, we feed them in Jesus' name. If we create an environment for kids to be able to get off the streets and, and enjoy themselves in a gym or whatever, it is in Jesus' name that we do that because the gospel is supreme. May we never be guilty of making our calling as a church more complicated than it is. Our calling as a church is to further the gospel of Jesus Christ into the community that God has called us to. Plain and simple. We say some really catchy things and we say some, some, some different things about what, what we're called to do. At the end of the day, it is for the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach more people than, than it reached yesterday. It's for the gospel of Jesus Christ to reach that next lost person. We may do some other things and we will do some other things. We're going to gather in groups uh, this week. And we're not necessarily going to be reaching out to unsaved people or people that have not uh, believed on Jesus yet. We're going to be meeting together as a community of believers. And those are good things. But it's not most important. The most important thing that we do is present and further the gospel in our communities. The, it is this gospel of Jesus Christ that Romans 1.16 tells us that it is the power of God needed for salvation. For I am not ashamed Paul says of the gospel, for it is the power of God for salvation to everyone who believes, to the Jew first and also to the Greek. 
the gospel. We talk about it a lot, but the gospel is that good news. And it's the good news that you're not good enough. That is the gospel. The gospel is the good news is that is the good news that you can never be good enough. However, however, Jesus lived that perfect life that you and I cannot live. He lived on this earth. He was tempted like you were tempted, like I am tempted. He was tempted every day. He was tempted with, 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 by the devil himself, tempted. And he did not sin. He lived the life that you and I cannot live. And he died on that cross. He died the death that you and I were supposed to die. You see, all of our sin separates us from God. And the penalty for our sin, the wage, Romans tells us, is death. And we deserve to be on that cross. But the good news is that Jesus Christ died for you he came to die a sinner's death we just talked about two weeks ago emmanuel god with us on december 24th we talked about that that's why he came he was literally born to die the gospel is a theme that reappears throughout this amazing book of philippians and i'm just going to highlight a few verses chapter one beginning in verse three i thank my god in all remembrance of you Always in every prayer of mine for you all, making my prayer with joy because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. Look at verse 12 of chapter 1. But I would, you understand, brethren, that the things which happened unto me have fallen out rather unto the furtherance of the gospel. Verse 15, some indeed preach Christ, even of envy and strife, some also of goodwill. One preaches Christ of contention, not sincerely, opposing to, supposing to add affliction to my bonds, but the other of love, knowing that I am set for the defense of the gospel. What then, notwithstanding in, in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ has preached the gospel. I therein do rejoice and will rejoice. Verse 27, only let your conversation or your lifestyle, your manner of living, be as it becometh the gospel of Christ. That whether I come and see you or else be absent, I may hear of your affairs, that you stand fast in one spirit, with one mind, striving together for the faith of the gospel. That's just in chapter 1. We're not even going to take the time to continue looking throughout the book of Philippians this morning to see the theme, the message, the heartbeat of this church was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The heartbeat of the church of Philippi was the gospel of Jesus Christ. The heartbeat of Keystone Church needs to be and should be and by God's grace will always be the gospel of Jesus Christ. This church had a gospel focus and our church needs a gospel focus. Their message, their message this morning was clear. The man behind the letter was Paul. The message that was preached is very clear. It was the gospel of Jesus Christ. But number three this morning, I want us to see the methods used in their evangelism. The methods that were used. Let's turn back to Acts chapter 16 if you're there. Acts chapter 16, there are three encounters that, this, that Paul and, and Silas and their team have in Acts chapter 16. Remember, we've already read about how they were called there. The Holy Spirit led them. But Acts chapter 16 and verse 13 says, On the Sabbath day we went outside the city gate by the river, where we expected to find a place of prayer. We sat down and spoke to the women gathered there. A God-fearing woman named Lydia, a dealer in purple cloth from the city of Thyatira, was listening. 
the Lord opened her heart to respond to what Paul was saying. After she and her household were baptized, she urged us, if you consider me a believer in the Lord, come and stay at my house. And she persuaded us. Lydia, an encounter that Paul and Silas had with Lydia. By all accounts, Lydia was a financially successful lady. She was a seller of fine goods. Uh, she was, uh, if she were living here today, she would probably be upper middle class. She would have driven a nice car here today. She would have left a very nice house to come to church today. The Bible even says that she was a God-fearing lady. That she had a fear of God. She had a, she had a natural uh, seeking and learning and yearning after God. She and her family, the Bible says, were saved as a result of the bold gospel witness of Paul and his church planting team. Lydia. Financially successful and God-fearing. Secondly, we see in verse 16, if we just continue reading, once as they were, as we were on our way to prayer, a slave girl met us who had a spirit by which she predicted the future. She was a, uh, she was a palm reader. And uh, back in the day, I'm sure that that was a lucrative business, truthfully. She made a large profit for her owners by fortune-telling. See, she was a slave girl, and so she told fortunes and told the future for people, but it was under the guise of her slavery, so she didn't see the profits for it. Her owner saw all the profits uh, for this. Uh, she followed, verse 17, Paul, she, and she followed Paul, and she cried out, These men who are proclaiming to you the way of salvation are the servants of the Most High God. She did this for many days, and... Paul was greatly annoyed. Turning to the Spirit, he said, I command you in the name of Jesus Christ to come out of her. And it came out right away. And we find out that she was converted. So her, her demonic possession uh, was cast away. And this slave girl was converted after Paul cast out her demon. And as a result of this, so we have Paul and Silas reaching a wealthy, upper middle class lady. We have Paul and Silas reaching a slave girl. And as the result of, him, of, them, of them reaching the slave girl, they were thrown into prison. All right, and this, happens, this happened to Paul, you know, on a, on a consistent basis. We find Paul in prison several times. And, and as a result of that, Paul and Silas find themselves in prison. And now we see the story of the Philippian jailer. And we're not going to read this entire story uh, for sake of time this morning. But I think we all know this story. Paul and Silas are, are put in, in prison and they begin to gripe and complain. No. They begin to talk to the people in prison about an escape plan, like Shawshank Redemption style. That would be awesome. Uh, no. Um, they, they, you, know, you know what they do? They're in prison. They're in shackles in prison. And they begin singing. They begin worshiping God. They, maybe they sang a song you know, like we sang this morning. Hey, who walks on the water? Who speaks to the seas? Who gets me out of prison? You know, they added, they added their own lyrics. You know, whatever it was. Maybe they sang a, a psalm from the, from the Old Testament. I don't know what they sang. But they sang praises. And they worshipped God in that jail. And at midnight, after Paul and Silas were singing, their shackles were broken. And they were set free. However, this Philippian jailer awoke to find the shackles free and to find the gates open, thinking... 
that he was about to get killed for letting these prisoners go. They come back in and they step back in and, and Paul and Silas give this jailer the truth of the gospel. You remember, they had a singular message, we find out. They, he, they gave him the gospel. And he asked this famous question. And I'm still waiting for someone to ask me this question because I think I can handle it from here. He says, sir, sirs, what must I do to be saved? That's what it, the Holy Spirit's convicting power was so heavy on this jailer that they didn't really even have to present the gospel to him. He literally comes to them and says, hey, what do I have to do to be saved? I want to be saved. And this Philippian jailer and his house, the Bible says, was one to Christ through the witness of Paul and Silas. There were many methods that were used in spreading the gospel in these three situations. And this is what I want us to comprehend this morning. With Lydia, Paul and Silas just used words. Because that's all she needed. She was God-fearing. She was ready. He just used their words. She just needed to be told. The slave girl, Paul and Silas, did something for her. She needed to be helped. She needed something. She needed something tangible. She needed to be helped. The jailer, they lived the life in front of him. He needed to be shown. Hey, who sits in prison, bound in shackles, and sings Amazing Grace? You know, who sits there and sings songs of praise to a God who, for all accounts and purposes, got you into this mess? He's the reason why you're in prison. Who sings praises? You see, Lydia needed to be told. The slave girl needed to be helped. The jailer needed to be shown. And practically applying this today, and, and I, hope, I hope you've bared with me through the introduction or through the beginning of this series, because I think it's very important for us to lay groundwork. But I want us to understand this this morning. At Keystone, we want to be actively sharing the gospel with using these three methods and many more if God gives them to us. We want to be actively telling people. Some people just need to be told. Hey, that person that works with you, you don't know. But the Holy Spirit may have been working on their heart and working on their heart and working on their heart. And all they need you to do is at lunch say, hey, listen, how's your, how's your relationship with Jesus? How's everything going spiritually with you? They just need to be told. But secondly, there's some people that need to be helped. Helping people. Hey, there are some people, there's a neighbor, or there's a friend, or there's, a, there's someone you know of that needs their heat bill paid this month. They need to be helped. Hey, maybe there's someone that, that and I'm guilty of this, and, and, and I, feel, I actually feel horrible about this every time, but someone that's, that's on the side of the road, and they got their blinkers on, and there's somebody that needs a car to pull over, and somebody to get out and act like a Christian and help them. Now, I would be able to help no one with their car. I would be like, there's where you put the gas in, and uh, if it's not that, I can't help you. I can call AAA for you. But some, some people need to be helped. Help, something tangible. But then, you know, some other people need an example. They need to see Christ in a tough time in our lives. I want to encourage you this morning. If you're going through a tough time in your life, like Paul and Silas were, let that be an opportunity for you to show Jesus Christ 
to people that you might not even understand or even watching. If you're going through a tough time, use this as an opportunity to say, hey God, I don't know why I'm going through this tough time. Paul and Silas, I don't know why I'm in prison. I have no idea why I'm in prison. But you know what? While I'm in prison, I'm going to sing songs of praise and worship to you. Hey, listen, while we're going through this financial issue in our, in our, in our family, guess what? We're going to stay faithful to God. We're going to stay faithful to Jesus. Hey, while we're going through this issue, maybe with our, with our, our son or our daughter or our adult children or some, some situ- relationship situations, while we're going through this, hey, we're going to stay faithful to Jesus. We're going to stay faithful to God through this. Hey, through this sickness, through this disease, we're going to stay faithful to God. Through this, some people need to be shown. And the thing about people needing to be shown is we usually don't know that they're watching us. We have no idea. If I knew that Keith was going to trust Jesus or not based on if I was kind to people, if I knew that ahead of time, then I'm going to obviously be kind to people because I want Keith, I really do, man, I want Keith to, to come to know Jesus. If I knew he was watching me, I mean, I'd live the life, I'd be like, Keith, man, come over to the house, watch me as I am the perfect husband and perfect father. Like, let's go, let me do this, let me go feed the, the hungry, let's, right? If we knew that. Well, guess what? We don't know that. So we should be living that life because we have no idea who is watching us. Mom and dad, how many of you understand if you have more than one child, you have completely different children, right? We all have different children. They have to be disciplined different ways. They have to be raised different ways. We all understand that. Well, guess what? You may have a child who just simply needs to be told. God works on their heart as they're growing up, and they just want you to tell them the message of the gospel, and man, they'll believe it, and they're right there with you. But guess what? You may have another child who needs to see an example. You may have another child who needs to see it. Maybe they're a little bit more skeptical. They need to see it in you. Because guess what? You can fool a lot of people. But there's two people you can't fool, God and the people that live in your house. You typically don't fool them long. Can we tell people? Can we help people? Can we show people the methods that were used? I want to make a statement this morning, and I want us to understand this as a church. If this is your first time at Keystone, you're going to get a little inside look here, and that's all good. I want us to understand this as a church, this statement. We will marry our message, but we will date our methods. That's not on here? All right, cool. I wasn't sure if it made it. It's all good. If you, don't, if you got notes or you put in, we will marry our message. Meaning, this I do till death do us part, ring on the finger. Our message is the gospel of Jesus Christ. No ifs, ands, or buts. We make no bones about it. The gospel of Jesus Christ is our message. We are married to that message till death do us part. We won't have hands raised in here this morning, but I'm assuming those of us that are married, we probably dated a few more people before we got married. And I won't have us testify or put up a number of, you know, some of you have to take off your your shoes and socks to have as as many people as you've dated uh, up here. I don't really know that. But anyway, but we're going to date our methods. Does that make sense? So we're committed fully to our message. But hey, you know what? The methods... If God brings along a new method for us to get the message out, out, right when I said out, it went out. That's awesome. Uh, if, if God brings along a new method to get his message out, we're going to use it. 
We're going to use it. Hey, our methods will change. Our message will never change. Our methods will, consist, will constantly be evolving, but our message will never evolve. I'll use this as an example. We right now are using the structure of, of a home study groups. We call them connect groups. And they meet in homes each week. And that is working awesome. Like, I absolutely love it. And I full well believe it is Acts, the book of Acts, the way that God really wanted it to happen. That's what I firmly believe. However, if culture shifts and culture changes, which I feel like it's shifting more toward this small group. People want to be in a house with someone. They want to share a meal with someone rather than going to a huge coliseum to hear one man preach. I feel like culture wants small, right? But if culture begins to shift and culture demands something else, I want us to be flexible enough and not hard-headed to where we'll say, hey, listen, our message is never changing, but hey, our method, we're going to adjust. We're going to adjust. We're go- hey, listen, if, 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 our, if our government ever completely loses its mind, don't just, I'll leave it at that. If we ever completely lose our mind and we go under persecution like it's happening all over this world in the Middle East and in, in, in Far East Asia, all over this world, and we have to meet together underground without telling anybody about it at Shane's house and, and at Shauna's house and at Bobby's house, and we have to, if we have to do that, hey, guess what? Our message will never change, but our methods will always be adjusting. We'll always be adjusting. And I want us to understand that. Hey, it's not our way or the highway. Hey, there are churches all over this city, all over this county that do church differently than we do. Hey, praise God. Praise God for what they're doing. Today, Jesus is being preached in churches that are much more conservative than ours. Jesus is being preached in churches today much more liberal than ours. Jesus is being preached in churches that look a lot like ours today. Jesus has lifted up. The message is clear this morning. Methods will come and methods will will go but our message remains constant it's an important truth that i want us to understand i want to conclude this morning by actually looking at philippians chapter one right you know i i can't do that you know i can't we can't talk about philippians without reading it and i'll be honest with you we're going to go through this morning just the introduction of this book i'm not going to preach it i promise you i know what time it is But I do want us to do this just for sake of the series itself. We kind of have it planned out and the Lord knows, right? So Philippians chapter 1, Paul and Timothy, servants of Christ Jesus to all the saints in Christ Jesus who are in Philippi, including the overseers and deacons. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. I give thanks to my God for every remembrance of you, always praying with joy for all of you in, in my every prayer because of your partnership in the gospel from the first day until now. I am sure of this, that he who started a good work and you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. Indeed, it is right for me to think this way about, uh, about all of you because I have you in my heart and you are all uh, partners with me in grace, both in my imprisonment and in the defense and confirmation of the gospel. For God is my witness how deeply I miss all of you with the affection of Christ Jesus. And I pray this, that your love will keep on growing in knowledge and every kind of discernment so that you may approve the things that are superior and may be pure and blameless in the day of Christ, filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ to the glory and praise of God. As our series title lends us to believe, 
I want us today to be united, united because of our partnership in the gospel, united in the gospel. If you've ever heard the book of Philippians taught before, um, you may have heard a theme of joy. Okay, because Philippians chapter 4 heavily deals with this. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. That is an obvious theme in the book of Philippians. I will not discredit that theme. I think that is an amazing theme throughout the book. However, I think a dual theme in the book of Philippians is unity. And I think it's unique how those two things work together. I think it's very unique to see how partnerships in the gospel working together on the same page, on the same team, brings joy. How many of you have worked at a job before where everybody was not on the same page? You ever worked there? All right, I've been there. How many of you have worked at a job, though, where it's like, you know what, man, it's, this is awesome. Like, I'm on a team here. Things are clicking. We've got a good leader. We've got good structure. How many of you have been in a job like that? And you know what's interesting about that? You enjoyed the job that had unity, and you probably just now didn't even think about how much you got paid at that job. You just thought about, that was a great experience. It could have been something as little as working at Chick-fil-A when you were a kid. That was me. I loved it. Free food, man. Come on. Anybody get Chick-fil-A, Sunday Chick-fil-A cravings? Anyway, um, I get them. But you know what? Unity. Unity and joy seem to have this collaboration. And Paul, writing this letter from prison, from prison, writing this letter, he writes about partnership unity, and he writes about joy. So I want us to be united in the gospel. I want us to, as verse 6 says, I want us to see what God has born in us, and I want us to see that carried out in completion. God has born, has birthed a church inside of all of us here, inside of this building. God has birthed a church, and I want us to see that out to completion, as verse 6 said. But then, ultimately in verse 11, I want us to be filled with righteousness, with the fruit of righteousness, not from our good works, not from how much we try, not from you know picking ourselves up by our bootstraps and, and doing a little bit better today than yesterday. No, no, no. I want us to be filled with the fruit of righteousness that comes through Jesus Christ. Through Jesus Christ. I could think of no better greeting that one could give this church than what Paul gave to the Philippian church. And may Keystone Church, our goal, to be united just like the church of Philippi. That's our job. That's our goal today. Today I laid some groundwork for the remainder of the series. We're going to probably be in this series for about 11 more weeks, about 12 weeks total that we're going to be in this series. I want you to uh, make plans to be back for it because God, we're going to walk right through it. And we're going to see what God gave Paul for this church. And it's going to, it's going to be amazing to see how it directly applies to us. It's going to be amazing, and I want you to be here. If you have to, happen to miss... I want you to check it out on our podcast, audio podcast right now that we have, where you can listen to it afterwards. But I really want to encourage you as we seek to be united for the gospel. Heavenly Father, we love you today. This has been the preaching podcast from Keystone Church and Pastor Josh Cox. For more information about Keystone Church, visit keystonerdu.com.
Please subscribe to hear future messages. Thank you.